Dose of Leadership Podcast, Episode 63. Welcome to another episode of the Dose of Leadership Podcast, the show that brings you inspiring and educational interviews with today's most relevant and motivating leaders. Each episode is dedicated to highlight real-life leadership and influence experts who dedicate their lives to the pursuit of the truth, common sense, and courageous leadership. And now, here's your host, Richard Ryerson. Hey everybody, welcome to the show. This is Richard Ryerson. Thanks for tuning in to another episode. This show is brought to you by my sponsor, Audible.com. If you're like me, you like to read, but you're having trouble finding the time to squeeze in all those great books, well, Audible.com is a perfect solution. Audiobooks are great. I never thought I would like them, but I love them now. It's a great way to get caught up. I listen to and get caught up on the book as I'm driving to work, if I'm exercising, any free time, working out in the yard, I can get caught up in all my reading. You can go to uh, my website, doseofleadership.com slash audible, and you can uh, download a free audiobook. Any audiobook they have, over 100,000 titles to choose from, you can download it for free, listen to it. You can sign up for 30 days with no obligation. If you don't like it after 30 days, you can cancel your subscription. But again, it's no risk to you. Go check out doseofleadership.com slash audible and make your smartphone smarter. Well, I'm so excited to have on my show today Joe Scarlett. He's a retired chairman of Tractor Supply Company. He started uh, with Tractor Supply in 1979, and he stayed there until his retirement at the end of 2007 and held various leadership roles. He played a key role in the initiative to return the company to profitability through improved customer service and focused product selection as part of a classic leverage buyout in 1982. Joe also led the successful 1994 effort to take the company public, and during his 10-plus years as CEO, the company's revenue quadrupled and the price of its stock increased Tenfold Tractor Supply was honored by Forbes as one of the best managed companies in America, and Joe Scarlett was recognized as Ernst & Young's Southeast Entrepreneur of the Year. He's also served for 20 years on the board of the nation's largest retail trade organization, including Forbes as chairman. Joe, welcome to Dose of Leadership. How are you today? I'm doing just great, thank you. Well, I'm so excited to talk to you. I know we talked last week in a pre-interview call, and I got to tell you, I'm one of the I'm a big supporter of Tractor Supply. I'm what you call you're probably your ideal target customer, the the hobby farmer. I'm not really a farmer. I pretend to be one on TV, and uh, I'm always going to Tractor Supply at least once a week. We appreciate your business. What a great company. So tell me a little. I know you're not with them anymore, but let's let's talk about that. Tell me how you got started with them and and uh, and how uh, you helped turn Tractor Supply into this kind of uh, mom-and-pop store into the powerhouse that it is today? Uh, well, my, my background started in New Jersey. I worked for a discount store chain for 15 years, and then I joined Tractor Supply in 1979. And uh, at the time, uh, the, the company had been going through great difficulty. It was founded in 1939 uh, as a tractor parts business, selling tractor parts to farmers, and it grew. Uh, but over time, that, that business uh, really went away because it, just like cars... Uh, the vehicles became much more complicated, and, and the tractor parts business really went went nowhere uh, a, after a fair amount of time. When Mr. Schmidt founded the company in 1939, there were six million farms in America. By the time uh, he left and the company was acquired in 1969, there were three million farms in America. So there was a de- declining basic customer base and a uh, declining core business. During the next decade of the 70s, the company had five different presidents and uh, five different directions. The fifth of those presidents was a man named Tom Hennessy. Uh, and Tom, Tom and I became, became very close. Tom originally came in as a caretaker and, and wound up as the permanent president. And 
over over the, the, the decade or so, our first decade together, you know, we transformed the business from one focused on on production agriculture to one focused on hobby farmers. And uh, and you're a perfect perfect customer for us on hobby farmers. We 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 learned by spending time in the stores, and we learned by studying our data. Uh, and you realize in the stores there were not a lot of farmers in the stores, but there were lots of people there. And, and it, trying to define who they were was a little difficult because they came from all different walks of life. Uh, but we finally coined the, the term uh, for our use of hobby farmer. And uh, statistically, a hobby farmer today is somebody that has some land and has dogs and cats and probably drives a pickup truck, and it's typically a, a, a full family unit. And and uh, they're not dependent on agriculture for a living, and, and they and in matter of fact, statistically they have higher than average income in the country, and, and it's those that target customer that we began to realize we're selling product that go to that customer. We're not selling product that go to that go to production agriculture, and so we we turn the business away from our traditional customer toward this new customer. And we just added product and, and hired different people and put stores in different places and, and just began to build a business. And, and it just took off when our competitors, and there were lots of competitors out there, just sort of looked the other way. They continued to try to stay focused on production agriculture. Yeah. And, and once, that, once that took off, it just sent us on a, on a mission uh, headed in, in, a, in a new and different direction. And uh, as you can see from the numbers, the company has grown dramatically. With 100 stores when I started, Today there are 1,200 stores. We were doing a hundred million in sales uh, when I started. We, the company will do, I think, five billion dollars this year. But the, the success factors. The, I was talking a lot about the, the the hobby farmer. Well, the hobby farmer is a is is the target customer. That's who we market to, and that's who we how we who we take care of. The second key factor in our success is building a culture based on always doing the right thing, doing the right thing with our people, doing the right thing with our customers, building strong partnerships with our suppliers and being good in the community. And when you have a, a great strategy tied together with a very powerful culture, it, the company just moves forward and we keep, keep things keep getting better and stronger. Uh, if you work for the company for the last 30 some odd years, you would know that there are three, now four different CEOs and you would know their names and you'd know their Personalities are, are all different, but you would also know that the basic direction of the company, the basic value structure in the company, has not changed one bit over those 30 years, which is, is quite a, it, it's a solid base and uh, headed in a very, very solid direction with tremendous growth opportunities in the future. Well, yeah, it's it's funny that you know, and it's even more interesting now that having talked to you and, and hearing some of that. And when I go to the store, I'm going with a fresh set of eyes and a fresh perspective. You know, it is a great store, and, and again, I, I guess you know. We've got three horses, and we're always going there, and that's the main way. And I'm always buying little things here and there. But it is a, a – and I'm trying to even think, who is the nearest competitor for Tractor Supply? Is it Atwoods? I'm not even sure. I, I can't even think who who does what Tractor Supply does. Where, where, where you live, it's Atwoods, and, and there are other chains like that across the country. Uh, there were 30 or 40 of chains like that uh, in 1980, and today there are about a dozen and, and there, are, there are a couple of them that are, that are very good competitors, and Atwoods is one of those that, that's a tough, tough competitor. Uh, but, but we managed to, to hang in there and take good care of our customers. You know, we, we have a philosophy about, about, about how we deal with, with customers. Uh, we, we believe in looking at a customer in terms of not, not this transaction, 
but the lifetime value of, of customer. We know, for example, mm. that every horse you own, you're going to spend about $9,000 during the life of that horse with us. So we're never going to give you a hard time about anything. We're going to do everything we can to help you. Right. There's a sign that hangs up over the checkouts in every store that says, like all retailers say, satisfaction guaranteed. Uh, I really don't care whether anybody ever sees that other than our employees, but underneath the word satisfaction guarantee are the words that say, every team member has the authority to do whatever it takes, which means we empower you, we trust you, you can't get in trouble, take care of the customer no matter what. And that's what we do, and nobody ever gets in trouble with it. So if you have a problem, you come into the store, we'll say to you, yes, Mr. Ryerson, what can we do for you? What can we do to make it right? And we'll make it right for you, what, no matter what it takes. Because you're not, you're not a $50 transaction. You're a, with three horses, you're a very valuable customer. <laughs> yeah, I do. You want to keep coming back for a long time. Yeah, I can. Yeah, you didn't have to remind me what, the, uh, what I'm going to be spitting with you, but uh, that's great, though. I love the store. I love the, I love the culture that you talked about. You know, I talk about um, creating a leadership culture in some of my presentations, and, and you, you mentioned the word culture there. How do, you, how do you create the unique culture at Tractor Supply? How do you create a leadership culture, if I can be more specific? Well, I, I, you, it, it's a lot of different ways. Um, first of all, you have to you have to walk the talk when when you're in charge. And uh, one of the things that I mean, we always walk the talk. Uh, I, I I told all of our management people, leadership people, over and over again, you are whatever your title is, vice president or district manager or store manager, whatever. But you're also the minister of culture for your business unit. So everybody has. It's not up to me as the CEO. It's up to everybody in leadership role. To, to, to talk about the culture, to yeah, like stand to, to practice it. Give me some examples. Uh, we are uh, we, we talk about being a frugal company. So you never would see me or anybody in our company flying first class. Uh, you'd see us mostly on Southwest. And, and when we got somewhere, uh, we would stay in a Hampton Inn. We would have lunch at the Subway. We'd have dinner at Olive Garden. We would work long days. We would, we would work hard and we... We just do the things that right. exemplify that culture. We also talk a lot about about staying close to our customer. Well, it, as, a, as a CEO, I can't really stay close to the customer, but I can stay close to our people in the stores who are close to the customer. So, for example, my, my typical work week, half of my work weeks over my 30 years, would be something like this. I leave town on Monday night. I would have with me a regional operating vice president who's responsible for 100 stores, and I probably have one or two staff people with me, somebody from the buying office or HR, even IT or accounting or real estate or marketing, and, and we would hook up with a district manager somewhere, and, and then we'd spend the next three days in the stores, and we'd be in our stores. We'd be talking. We'd be asking questions. We'd be listening careful, carefully. We'd be modeling that kind of behavior, and then people will say, well, CEO, nobody's going to talk to the CEO. Well, that's not true. They will talk to the CEO because they say, hello, Mr. Scrawl. I said, no, no, his name's Joe. Mm. And, and, and that, that sort of sets him back a little bit. And I said, well, what part of the store do you take care of? Well, it's, uh, I take care of the pet area. Well, come on, uh, Mary, let's take a walk through the pet area. And we get over to the pet area, and I said, well, how's this new dog food selling? You know, you know, one minute of that conversation, we're best buddies. And, and, and I'm listening and listening and listening. And the more that... The more I set that tone, model that behavior, other people do the same thing. And, and the better job you do of listening, 
and, and listening to the people on the front lines, the better decisions you can make, the better direction you can give to the organization. So, and, and that, that's all part of the part of the developing the culture. Uh, also, I, I spent a lot of time, you know, we, I was out with these people you know, half of my weeks, and, and in between stores and at dinner and so on, I'd spend my time coaching, and I'd talk about leadership, and I'd talk about the selection of people, and we talk about how to motivate people and how to de- deal with, with issues with people. And, you know, it's all about people. And the better the job you do of hiring and developing and training, the more effective you'll be. We spent a lot of time on the subject of, of uh, succession planning, a huge amount of time. Also created Tractor Supply University, and we did educational programs for everybody in the organization. Uh, i give you one little snippet of that. Before you can become a store manager, you have to go through a lot of technical training in specifically designated stores where we knew the store manager knew how to teach. But also, you had to go through a class in Nashville at our headquarters that lasted from Monday morning through Friday afternoon. And the class is all about, it's not about technical stuff, it's about people. It's about direction, it's about values, it's about our, our, our mission, it's about leadership, it's about hiring and, and how to manage people and how to lead people. And much of the classes, probably 60 or 70% of the classes, are taught by the top five executives that week. So that by the time you leave there on Friday afternoon, whether you're running a store around the corner from our support center in, in uh, Nashville or whether you're uh, running a store in California, you don't have to look over your shoulder. You know what decisions you can make. You know you've met every senior executive and you understand what the company's all about and you, you can operate in a very independent sense and, and know when you should get on the phone and call somebody. Uh, building a culture is a very complex uh, process, and it started with my predecessor, and it's gone. Uh, it goes on into the future, but it does not change. The culture is very, very strong, and and it's it's talked about regularly by every executive. Whenever there's a business meeting, whenever there's a sales meeting, the CEO of the company will always stand up there and talk about some portion of our value structure and some portion of our mission, and they're always on that subject. So it's always top of mind. You know, one thing that I like, you know, everything that you said there, and there's a lot of great nuggets that you said in there, but um, one of the things that stands out is everything you talked about was so basic, so common sense. And that's what I love about it. And that's what I love about and probably why it has its staying power. I think a lot of times what I've seen, I see, you know, leadership and executives, they're always thinking about the next kind of, you know, critical task, everything else. Everything you talked about there was talking about, values, basic common sense stuff, building relationships and trust with your folks. I just don't see a lot of that in leadership and companies. I think we're the ones that are struggling. I think that's where they missed the boat. Everything that you talked about there in that in that answer was basic common sense stuff, right? Well, uh, I, 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 I certainly think it is. Uh, when I look at uh, – I've, I've done a lot with leaders. I do a lot of coaching. I do a lot of teaching. I've, I, I've been studying business leaders for – as long as I can remember, and uh, when you look at the ones that that fail, they fail because they're they're too well for two reasons. The, the, the failures that I see are are one of two one of two areas. Sometimes both. First is is the failure to delegate. They, people think they still have to do it themselves, and leaders. Who, who are micromanagers tend to turn off everybody around them. Yeah. Plus, they're not getting things done because they don't have time to, as I like to say, see over the hill and around the corner. So, one of the key things you've got to do to be an effective leader is you've got to delegate responsibility and trust people to do things. As I was talking about before, we we, we empower every every team member in every store. 
to take care of the customer no matter what. We trust people. So the first step is you've got to be able to delegate responsibility and, and let it go. If you, uh, I used to brag about the fact that as a CEO, I made very few decisions. Uh, the only decisions I made were high-level personnel decisions with the input of other people. And the other is high-level strategy decisions with the input of other people. Otherwise, I had to make decisions. Well, I like to decide where to go for lunch. Yeah. Other, if you came to me and said, what do you think I ought to do? My response, I'd listen to you a little bit and ask, well, what do you think we ought to do? And, and, and almost always they got a better answer than I ever come up, come up with. And, and you just, when you move up the ladder, you've got to feel enough confidence in yourself to say, hey, you know, go ahead and take care of it. Uh, the, I like to say, push decision-making as far down the ladder as you can. Yeah. That gives you the time as a, as a leader to see what's happening next and where you're going and to pay attention to what's really important. The second reason that, that, that leaders fail is ego. Uh, particularly at high levels. When, when you begin to let this thing get to you and you think you're invincible, uh, you, you begin to, to cease to listen and people cease to respect you and eventually you isolate yourself. Um, have, having a big ego is the, absolutely the worst kind of thing that, that can happen to senior leaders. Uh, staying humble is an important part of, of, of success. Uh, one of my role models in, in life is Sam Walton, although I only met him once. Uh, I studied very carefully what he did, and he just—he was out in the stores. He was very humble. He was Mr. Sam. Uh, everybody, everybody loved him. They listened to him. They paid attention to him because he stayed on everybody. He stayed on the same level as everybody else. And I mean, he even drove a broken-down pickup truck till the day he died. So, mm-hmm. you stay humble. People respect you. People listen to you, and you get good feedback. If you got if you got a big ego, people stop talking to you. You you cease to know what's going on, and sooner or later, you isolate yourself. Yeah. I love what you're saying. You're a breath of fresh air. I mean, I agree with everything that you're saying wholeheartedly. I think, too, you know, the delegating and letting go and letting people make the decisions is key. But I think what's the other part of that equation is when that person fails and when they make that honest mistake, how you react to that honest mistake is critical to continuing that culture of leadership. I mean, you've got to support them when they fail. Well, we didn't have a lot of failure, and, and I think the reason we didn't have a lot of failure is because we spent so much time on the culture talking about what we believe in and where we're going. And, and if you just, if, if you as a leader, no matter what level you're at, talk much more than you think you should talk about direction and about values and about mission, then people make much better decisions. Now, right. of course, everybody makes perfect decisions, so if makes a bad decision, you, know, you, you, you you pat them on the back and you figure some way to, to, to rectify the situation. Uh, but with let's talk about, in, in, our, in our world, buying merchandise. Well, if, if you're a buyer and, and you've got a good idea about something, well, just buy some. You know, put, put, put them in 10 stores, and if they sell, fine. If they don't sell, you mark them down, and, and you move on to the next thing. But you never what you want to do is celebrate the risk takers who are growing the business as opposed to criticize you know, you, you could criticize those who are not taking the risk. What you want to do is celebrate those that are taking the risks yeah. because they're they're getting you to the next plateau. Uh, another uh, part of our culture, I didn't mention there before, but very, very important, is we're a culture of recognition. We celebrate success in every possible way we can. Uh, at our sales meetings, we're, we're forever giving out, patting people on the back, giving out awards, not necessarily money, but just recognizing people for performance. Uh, I was famous for my smiley face. Uh, Whenever I got any good news in, I would always get, I would respond with a smiley face. It could be on a 
piece of paper, it could be through an email, it could be whatever it is, and, and maybe notes attached to it, but just always celebrating success. We, we built a culture of, um, once we got email running, which we didn't always have, obviously, uh, but we, we, we coached our managers in telling success stories. So if, if, if uh, one of our key salespeople in Wichita, for example, uh, had sold a $5,000 riding lawnmower and the customer had spent time at Home Depot and Lowe's and someplace else looking at it and we had the success, we're going to celebrate that. Mm. We'll ask the store manager to write a little story about how this employee, uh, how this employee had made the success and, and then we'll pass that success story around to 100 stores in, the, in that region and, and we'll recognize the person and, you know, which always celebrating success breeds more success. It's, it's like, you know, people say, what, what motivates people? Well, it's just like, just like a dog. You want a dog to do something, you give a dog a treat. Well, for human beings, the treat is recognition. And the more you recognize something that's getting done the way you want it done, the more you're going to get of it. You know, everything you say, I just love. It's so refreshing to hear someone of your caliber talk about just the basic common sense leadership principles that we strive for on this podcast and, and we, we try to highlight you, I didn't mention it in the beginning because I know we talked last week that you are closing your Scarlet Leadership Institute for various reasons, but you've had a pretty successful job outside of Tractor Supply um, developing and growing and teaching leadership. Tell me a little bit about um, the process of how you did that. How would you grow a leader? How would you take them through the process? And, and what are the su- success stories you had from that institute? Um. The institute came about as a sort of a byproduct of the Tractor Supply University. When I was stepping down, a number of business leaders in the community came to me and said, "Hey, Joe, we know what a great job you've been do you've done developing people at Tractor Supply. How about doing the same thing in the community?" And uh, I uh, contacted uh, uh, 50 CEOs of Middle Tennessee companies, and 35 of them got together with us in small groups, and we chatted about leadership and what do you need to develop your your key people, your high potentials. Uh, that you're currently not doing or don't intend to do in-house. And, you know, these are companies, are, these are manufacturing companies and retailers and probably more healthcare than anything else. And, and from all these different walks of life, all of these CEOs said the same general thing. It's all about the people. We need to, we need to have leaders in our companies who, are, uh, who know how to select good people, who know how to build teams, who know how to communicate effectively, can deliver a speech, can, we don't run away from the difficult conversations. We'll proactively do things that are open and honest and no secrets leaders and on and on and on. And, and so we just listened and listened and listened, and we put together an executive educational program uh, that lasted for a year. It was 18 days and, and fairly expensive, and we've had several hundred graduates over the over the time, and, and it's it's all about the people. And, and when you get that, – that's what so many – Leaders, they get lost on. They think it's about the tasks, and it's not about the. Tasks, it's about the people, and and that's what we taught. Uh, the, the the reason we're we're uh, phasing it out this year is just a, a overall change in the in the business community here. Uh, I've been I'm sort of tired of being a full time salesman at my age, and and uh, uh, this is there's been a change in the leadership of a number of companies in town, and we just decided that. Uh, well, congratulations on your run and your success, and I appreciate all that you did did for that. That's that's great stuff. Everyone 
on this podcast, I get a lot of feedback from people and like, how, do, how can I become a better leader? And there's a lot of people, the, probably, the vast majority of the feedback I get are people that are kind of right there in the middle. They've got a handful of people they're responsible with below and they've got to lead upwards as well. And they got a huge amount of leading sideways too of their peers. What best advice can you give to folks like us who are in that position on uh, taking it to the next level or, or being prepared to, to grow our leadership process? Well, I think it, it, a number of things come to mind there. First of all, your communication skills are everything. And, and your ability to communicate effectively in a positive way uh, in writing and conversation and speeches is, is everything because you, you, you are what you say. Um, so, so communication is very important. Networking. You know, just network with everybody you can all over the place. Don't don't spend the, you know, if you're spending your 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 life in your cube and you're not out talking to people, you're you're, you're really restricting what you can do. The more the more connected you are, the more information you have, the more broadly based your your knowledge is, and the more effective you can be. Uh, I, I, I've I've built an, I've done a huge amount of networking over the years. Everybody needs to have a learning agenda. What what I always ask this to everybody. What is your learning agenda? Everybody needs to have that agenda because as you improve yourself, improve your own level of, of, of knowledge about about business in general and about your business and about how to deal with people, the more effective you're going to be up the ladder, down the ladder, and sideways. Uh, you mentioned in the introduction about my involvement with a retail trade organization. In the late 80s, uh, I decided I, I need to get out and learn some more outside of where I was, and I joined a a retail trade organization, which is now the largest retail trade organization in the country, and and, uh, and the companies today, the companies are Walmart, Target, Home Depot, Best Buy, Lowe's, and so on. And uh, I was on the board there for 20 years, and and we went to these events, and I got to know people from uh, mostly bigger companies, but not all. Some were smaller, and I got the I got the chance to sit across the table. I was on the board there, got a chance to sit across the table for, and benchmark myself against the. I mean, the biggest gorillas in the, in the market. And in many cases, I, I thought, you know, I've got a lot to learn to catch up with so-and-so. I've got a lot to learn to catch up with so-and-so. And you know something? I'm a whole lot better than some of these people. Mm-hmm. And then I benchmark your company also. So, I mean, that's a case of networking at the highest level, but it's a case of, of, of a way of continually learning because you're seeing what else is out there. So I'll go back to, to those at, at lower levels. What do you do for lunch every day? If you're brown bagging and sitting behind your desk, you're missing a tremendous opportunity. Uh, you should be out there networking with with your peers, with your competitors, with people in other businesses. You know, don't even have to network with people that are in your business. Network with anybody because the more people you get to meet, the more knowledge you have, the more interesting you are, and and, and the more likely you are to be to be successful. I'm not sure I exactly answered that question. But I'm kind of wondering. No, that's a great that's a great answer. I think you know networking and understanding the true power of network. I couldn't agree with you more. I think that um, is something that I'm continuing to learn about and certainly um, uh, subscribe to and believe in as well. I think it's it's underestimated, and a, you know I think <clears throat> if anything, I think for me too, learning how to lead upwards. I think for someone like if. And I'm curious of your perspective, when, especially when you're a CEO. I think a lot of times people are afraid to approach the CEO. You sound like a guy that if I was had an issue, I could knock on your door and say, hey, Joe, this is what I'm noticing. Um, here's the solution that I think we could do. And you would, and you sound like you'd give me great feedback. I, I wouldn't give you an answer, but I'd give you feedback. Right. Uh, what, what, I used to, what I used to tell people that, uh, that, that worked for me, you know, if you work for me, you've got an obligation 
on every important topic to tell me what's on your mind. Yeah, I love that. And and, and I'll tell you something, if, if, if you do, and I make a dummy decision, the monkey's on my back. But if you don't speak up and I make a dummy decision, the monkey's on your back. As a matter of fact, you're probably not going to work for me any longer. Oh, I love uh, that. I just you, you demand that. You've got to speak up. You, you, you don't want a bunch of yes people on your team. Uh, I, I got a little saying I use sometimes. If you have a yes person on your team, one of you is unnecessary. Uh, yeah, I love that. I used to, and people have heard me say this in the podcast, but I've seen, from a flying perspective, that's when, when you fly with different people, and sometimes you fly with brand new people you've never flown with or don't know very much about. But I would always say that at the end of my brief, I'd say it's not your right to challenge me, it's your obligation. And I use that in business and what I've been in leadership roles as well. It's not your right to challenge me, it's your obligation. If you're not, just like you said, if, if you don't tell me about something, if you let me crash into the mountain and you knew I was about to crash into the mountain, then shame on you, you know. And um, so I love that. I love that advice. You know, you, you, let, me, let me back up a second and talk about, about uh, networking. The, the reason you and I are on this call together is because of networking. Correct. You're absolutely right. So, Phil, you had Phil Van Hooser on a couple of weeks ago, uh, and I've known Phil for 20-some-odd years now. He was a speaker for us at a couple of, couple of meetings 15 years ago or something like that, and I could have easily lost track of him and forgotten about him, but I didn't. I kept his contact information, and once a year, twice a year, I'll, I'll give him a buzz and we'll chat a little bit, and, and I've helped him with a couple of his books, and, and, and he introduced me to you. That's and right. That's, that's just a very small example of networking and how effective it can be. Well, and I would, and I would say that 50% uh, at this point, almost 60% of my interviews, my follow-on interviews come from networking with previous guests. And, and that just shows you the, the power of that. Well, well Joe, I'd be happy to help you with a few, few in the future, too. Well, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Well, Joe, I know you still do um, um, speaking at organizations, and you talk about it. Where can people find you and get in touch with you? Uh, go to com. Go to com, and um, I guess you got Facebook and Twitter, too, I would imagine. No, I, I really don't. Oh, you don't? I says this. I'm looking at your website. It says follow Joe on. Uh, oh, you got Scarlet Leaders on Facebook. That's that, that's the leadership. But go to joescarlet.com. Joescarlet.com, Roger. And I'll have a uh, link to that when we post this on the interview on my website. I, I mostly give talks about tractor supply and about leadership tied together as one talk, and I have a lot of fun doing it. So if anybody's interested, give me a holler. Well, Joe, you seem like one of those guys I would have loved to work with you. You sound like the the, the, the perfect type of CEO, common sense, down-to-earth, frugal, basic common sense stuff. And I know it takes a lot of work to do the basic common sense stuff, but it, it takes work to do that and live it out every day. And, and you seem like a true gem, and uh, I wish there were more leaders out there like you. Well, that's, that, that, that's very nice. Thank you very much. Joe, thanks for coming on the show, and uh, we'll, we'll keep in touch, and maybe we'll bring you back on the show at a later date. Thanks very much. Thanks, Joe. Richard invites you to become a part of the Dose of Leadership community. Visit doseofleadership.com and sign up to receive his free Common Sense Leadership eBook, a guide that highlights how all of us can learn to become calm, confident, consistent, and courageous in all aspects of our lives. Richard is also available as a speaker for your next event. Richard specializes in practical leadership and change management. He has a philosophy of inspiring everyone to think and act like a leader, which is based on timeless natural principles and common sense. You can get more info by visiting doseofleadership.com.